My name is Jeremy Collins. I'm a pastor who has honest conversations with other pastors to take a deeper look at matters of worship and faith, all while exploring who God is and how he works in our lives. Make sure you stick around to the end where we're going to answer your questions. This is Pastor Talk Radio. How's it going, everyone? Welcome today to the first ever episode of Pastor Talk Radio, a live show that you can be a part of. Today, I'm actually by myself because, funny thing, sometimes pastors have a change of schedule. And Pastor Paul, who's going to be on the podcast today, ended up having a funeral today. So he's taking care of that. Next week, we're going to get to that conversation. But this week, we're going to be talking about liturgy. What is liturgy? Why do we worship the way that we do? And does it actually matter? So we're going to be looking at some scriptures. We're going to be taking a look at my church's liturgy and kind of walking through why we do what we do, all in hopes to help you think about the reasons your church does the way that the things that your church does. So if you're here live, also remember, leave some of those questions down below. At the end, I'm going to get to those. If you're listening on the replay or on any of the podcast platforms where this is going out to, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. And we're going to jump right in to this episode because I think it's important. It gives a foundation of what we're talking about. So two things I want to define as we begin. I first want to talk about what is worship. Then I want to talk about what is liturgy. Because oftentimes when people say worship, we don't always know what they mean. We think sometimes just the songs that we sing or the, the music portion of a worship service. And I want to be clear that when I'm saying worship, and most of the times when we're going to be talking about worship on this podcast, it's in view of the full service on the Lord's Day. It's not just about talking about one element like the singing, because it should all be worship. Whatever, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so we can always be in an attitude and a heart of worship. So what is liturgy? Liturgy is uh, a word that comes from, uh, uh, no, that's not what I want. Sometimes, sometimes things don't go the way we want them to in our technological difficulties. So right now I have one of those going on. There we go. Gone. Anyway. As you can see, this is a highly produced show we've got going on right now. But what, what, is, what is liturgy? No, it's doing it again. Why is it doing that? I don't like that. I don't like you, Sam. Anyway, let's answer this question. Uh, when we're talking about liturgy, it comes from the Greek understanding or the Greek word liturgia, if I pronounce that right, kind of like apologia, which is to give a defense where we get the word apologetics from. But liturgia comes from two words that mean people and work. And so liturgy is literally the work of the people in terms of how we understand that is in our worship services. So it's the organization or the, the system by which we worship. So every church has a liturgy. You have a liturgy. I have a liturgy for how I do all kinds of things. But when we're talking about the liturgy of the church, we're talking about the organization and the system of worship for that day. And so sometimes churches might have a very structured liturgy. Some churches may have a very informal liturgy. When you're thinking of liturgy, you're probably coming up with pictures in your mind of 
things like incense and robes and all these different things. But that's not only liturgy. It also is any type of organization. So depending upon your church, if you go to a traditional church or you go to a more contemporary church, you might have different liturgies. The question I want us to be thinking about today is why? Why do we do that thing? Why is that thing in worship where it is? Unfortunately, I think many times we don't get to the question of why in our worship. We kind of just do it. And I hate to tell you, the answer to the why is not a matter of preference, or at least it shouldn't be. It should be a matter of scripture. And so today, as we look at scripture together or listen to scripture together, I hope and pray this helps you think about why certain things are going on in your worship, what the purpose of them is, and maybe, just maybe, you're going to come away today with some different ideas. So if you're a pastor watching, welcome. If you're an elder or a deacon at your church, welcome. Or if you're just a regular old Christian who attends church faithfully, you are so welcomed here because I hope and pray this is going to help you think a little bit differently about how you worship. So let's hop into some scripture first. I think it's helpful for us to be guided and directed first by what we're looking at and how that applies to this conversation. Why does it do that? So Ecamm is doing stuff that I don't like it doing. There we go. Over here. No, no. I need a second monitor is what I need. Why in the world? No, no. Okay, well, is that going to work? No, that's not going to Trink you down. Ah, uh, you'll just go over there. Okay, so here we are. We're at Romans 12 looking, actually, I want to first look at Colossians 3. And this is a, a passage you've probably heard before. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It says this. This is talking about what our singing in worship looks like. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then our second scripture today to look at is Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So as we're taking a look at and thinking about all these different things in regards to worship, we must first be realizing and recognizing that God's word has a lot to say about what our worship should look like. God's word actually has a, a good guide for how we should approach. And this idea of admonishing and teaching in, in the way that we sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, this idea of not doing anything, and but everything that we do is to glorify God and to present, there, there's a, a sacrificial nature of this that we're presenting our lives as a living sacrifice before God. So as we think about these things, I think it's important that we always keep coming back to Scripture to see what it is that's going on. So as we do that, 
please let me know of your comments, questions down below. I'll take comments, questions, snide remarks. Just know I give them back to. We're going to pause here for a second and see who's watching and who's here in the live chat. I love that some of you are here. Daryl's here. How's it going, Daryl? Glad that you're here. John Adams is here. If you didn't see John's short today, if you're looking for a new camera, check that out. Sean, Sean is here, just a regular Christian here who's also a pastor. Sean, glad that you're here. Sean and I go way back. We were uh, carpool buddies on the way to seminary. Maybe we'll share some of those questions. And uh, he threw out, use those Colossians verses as my charge yesterday. Hey, great minds, great minds think alike. I'm glad that you did that. So as we're thinking about these things, remember scripture has a lot to say. With all of that, I want to take a look at what my church does because I think, well, I hope that we're doing some things that I think could be helpful for you to see as we think about this. So here is our, we call it a worship guide, but you might call it a bulletin, whatever you call it, that's okay. Our worship guide is designed very specifically to help lead people through worship, but it has a, a secondary purpose too. We email this out to everyone in our church. You get an email, whether you attend virtually or not, you still get this email and this email has the attached worship guide. So whether you were in worship on Sunday or not, or you are watching virtually or not, you can have this guide because there's hyperlinks, meaning you can click on these and it's going to open the scripture that is there. There's also going to be other things like here's the song scripture basis for the songs that we're singing. And you can take you to an, a breakdown of the biblical outline of why we're singing that song, because we want our folks to understand the why behind everything. But it all starts in one place for us. And it starts in Isaiah chapter six. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter six real quick, because it's from this outline that we get our understanding and our liturgy for our church. Now, at the outset, there's some things that scripture does prescribe for us to be doing in worship. But I think there's a lot of liberty as to the order of those things. So just because this is how we do it doesn't mean how you have to do it. Here it is, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. So we have this picture that Isaiah is giving of the throne room of God. He's in the presence of God in the throne room. And now he's going to recount what he sees and what happens. Listen, I think it's really intriguing, some of the things he shares. Above him, above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And two, he flew. And one called to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So at the outset here, what do we see? We see these seraphim praising God and giving God glory and honor and praise, calling to the thrice holy God, three times holy, meaning like the holiest that ever could be holy, this overemphasis of holiness, that God is so other and set apart that as we approach him in worship, we must recognize that what's happening here is not just an ordinary 
thing that as we approach God in worship, we're approaching the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who is and is to come, the one who has forever been the eternal triune God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's this picture of worship that we want our folks to have in mind as we gather together on the Lord's day to pray, to open God's word, to sing praises, to fellowship, all of these things. What, what happens? It continues. Verse four, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now, this isn't a prescription to buy smoke machines. That's not what this is. We don't have smoke machines. If you do, we should talk. Anyway, verse five, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So that's the picture that we get from Isaiah chapter six. Here's what we write in our worship guide to, to put that in perspective. It says, our worship follows the pattern from Isaiah six, one through eight. We perceive and approach a holy God. We confess our sins, listen to God speak, and then respond with willing hearts to serve God's will. This is the high calling of worship and God's call to you today. Why do we put that in those terms? Because what we want folks to understand, and probably if you're here and you're uh, someone in my congregation who worships with us, you've heard this again and again, but we want people to get the gospel as a result of coming to worship. And so we order our worship in such a way that they hear the call of God, that they hear who God is, that they respond with confession and repentance, and that at the end we apply and push us out into the world to go live in the way that he's called us to live. That's the order of our worship as we pull it from scripture. Now, is this the only way you can order your worship service? No, I'm not saying that. But you're going to see there's a reason and a purpose in everything that we do. As we open worship, we have a unison affirmation that together we state. This is actually prior to even a call to worship, but this is as we gather. This is to bring hearts and minds from the conversations that are happening. As there's life happening in the room, people are, are catching up from the previous week and saying hi to one another. This past week, my four-year-old daughter was doing laps around the church. And so it was this affirmation that helps bring us back together as we come to worship God. And so what was our affirmation this past week? It changes. Sometimes it's that Colossians verse, as Sean had mentioned, was in his. Sometimes it is from Galatians or wherever it can be. It doesn't have to be the same thing every week. This week, it was from 1 John chapter 3. And the hyperlink's there if you want to click on it after the fact. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. Now, hint, real quick. If we look down at the scripture reading for today in Matthew 18, you're going to get an understanding of the connection 
between this unison affirmation and the sermon that's going to be preached. It's going to be talking about this interaction with Jesus and the children and what, and what it means to have a childlike faith. So to put in this unison affirmation at the front end starts getting people in a mindset to be ready to hear the word of God. It also calls our hearts and minds to refocus similarly to a call to worship. Some might have a call to worship here. The difference is when we get everyone standing up and saying this scripture, it's not a call and response as oftentimes calls to worship can be. Instead, this is all voices in one accord reading scripture together, and that flows right into our worship this week. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what style of worship do you guys have at the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown? And I would say it's uh, all kinds of worship all over the board and all kinds of styles of singing from choral music to being led in meditative song or music by our bells ministry, or we have contemporary music. We have anything in between that. We sing psalms. Sometimes it's organs. Sometimes it's piano. Sometimes it's uh, piano, drums, and bass. So we mix our styles. We have a bunch of different kinds. We don't just have a specific style. Why? Because I don't think there is prescribed in scripture a specific style. Instead, it's everything we do should glorify God. So whatever style it is that might be shaped by the culture around you, can that style glorify God? Absolutely. Problem usually comes when one style wants more uh, attention or feels like it's better equipped than another style. So we sang together, here I am to worship. Now that even sounds a little bit like Isaiah 6, here I am, send me, here I am to worship God. This, this opening song usually has an element of praise and honoring of recognizing who God is. And that's what this song is doing. And then from that, we move into a call to worship. And as this is happening, the hope is that we're pulling people deeper and deeper and deeper into a sense of what worship is this day. That it isn't just, hey, we're going to sing two songs and then the sermon, but we have a pattern and a purpose to that pattern. And whatever pattern or purpose you have, you probably have some reasons behind that. And that these are our reasons. So our call to worship this past week oftentimes is based on Psalm 119. You could do probably for the rest, the rest of whatever ministry or whatever time you're in church, you could probably have every call to worship based out of Psalm 119 alone. And usually our calls to worship, we try very often to have mostly scriptural based things. Why? Because the more times you hear scripture read and you meditate on it, you're going to start to learn those scripture passages. So sometimes we'll come back to similar calls to worship. Sometimes it's adapted from scripture or it's just quoted from scripture. And this week it was this, your decrees are wondrous, therefore I obey them. The revelation of your word brings light. And then the leader again said, your word gives understanding to the inexperienced. And then all together, I long for your commands and seek to bless your name. And from that, we go back into more singing, more praise. We're recognizing God as holy. So the singing of praise of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And sometimes we sing that hymn. This week it was, blessed be your name. And we gave the reasoning and the scriptural basis for this music. That 
again, helps our folks see the purpose of why. But in a, in a second, we're going to zoom out 30,000 feet and we're going to talk about the, the overall structure of this. But I want you to see line by line what, what we do or as you're listening, listening line by line. Then we go into a, a time guided by, and for those of you that can't see, there's these bigger bullets that we guide people through. So the unison affirmation was under, we gather to seek God's grace. And then the call to worship in song was under this heading of God offers grace by calling us to worship. So you see how the, the means of grace are starting to, to permeate through. Then we come to a shift in our worship. And it's a physical shift as well as an emotional one. We have everyone sit down. We have everyone sit down and now they hear scripture read yet again. And this scripture is intended to call everyone to repentance. We used to call this our call to confession. And that isn't wrong to say that, but we want to be more specific to say that, that this call isn't just a call to confess sin. That's part of it. But it's even more than that. It's a call to confess and repent, to confess our sin before a holy God, and then to turn from that sin and turn back to this holy God as we offer ourselves, Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. That's our spiritual act of worship. And so as we do that, we're literally turning and changing our minds away from the sin that we've been struggling with and to refocus it back on Christ. Many churches will do this with a time of silent confession. We have chosen to do things corporately together to read aloud. There's a few reasons for that in my mind. And one of them is this idea of helping people hear and know, particularly the little ones who are all still in worship at this point, hearing those little ones to hear the body of Christ join in prayers of confession. And we read these aloud together. Where do these confession prayers come from? Well, if you're looking at it, you can see right here, the, the prayer of confession this week found its roots in Ephesians 1.5, in 1 John 2.1, in 1 John 1.5-6, in 1 John 2.3-4, and Philippians 4.19. You're like, wow, how, how long is it? It's not that long of a prayer of confession but we're giving the background to why we do this. Does everyone need this background? No, but we're trying to be as transparent and open as possible to show our folks, hey, everything we do and say in worship is ordered and structured and flows out of scripture. That's the basis. Why? Because the Bible, the word of God is what it says there in 1 Timothy. It's profitable for teaching for rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness. And it orders our worship. And so then together we said this prayer of confession. And all of this is happening ahead of hearing the word of God preached. Because we want the word of God preached to be the thing we're responding to. We're responding to God's word in worship. So here was the, the prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to pay our adoption price. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who reminds us that we are yours. Heavenly Father, like earthly children, we wander away from you. We act selfishly. We rebel against you. We pull away from you. We slip away from the work of your kingdom. Lord, forgive us. Remind us of our complete and utter dependence on you. In humility, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
men. There's our prayer, unison prayer of confession that we would read aloud together as everyone is, is seated and, and meditating and thinking on everything that's happened so far. And then I didn't read it. I didn't read the uh, call. It says call to confession. It'll say call to repentance, typo. But the call to repentance, as I said, was James 5.16. Confess your sins each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I read that this past Sunday prior to our prayer of confession. And I took a brief moment to teach, to teach. I think it's really important that in the midst of our worship services that we take time to teach because that James 5.16, I think, is oftentimes pulled out of context. The thing that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much or has great effect, that if my prayer didn't come about, it means I must not be righteous. Uh, problem with that is there is no one righteous, no, not one. We see that in Romans. And I, I mentioned that. So what does this have to do with us then? How can we even approach God in prayer if we're not righteous? What's the point? Imputed righteousness of Christ. My righteousness has no bearing. Instead, I have been given the righteousness of Christ. Him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So this righteousness is not my own. So when I approach the throne of God in prayer, in confession, I also get the privilege to not even be like Isaiah. I'm not there looking in my own righteousness. I'm there covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. And I took that one minute, 30 seconds right before the prayer of confession to put that out there, to let people hear that. And they say, oh, okay, that's what that means. And then we jumped into our prayer of confession. And then it finished with an assurance of grace. We want people to understand the grace of God. And Ephesians 1, 7 says this, this was our assurance of grace. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So in this breakdown, all the way from unison affirmation to our assurance of grace leading up to soon our preached word, we're getting these movements that remind us of the gospel, that we gather to seek God's grace, that God offers grace by calling us to worship, that God offers grace in our confession of sin. Notice how it's God doing the offering. We're not getting this out as a result of our own coming before God, but that it's already offered to us in Jesus Christ. And then we gathered to offer our hearts in worship. And we sang, I stand amazed. Now you might notice that we were seated. If you're watching this, we were seated for this song because this is also a transitioner point in our worship service where we also take up our offering because we're offering our hearts in praise as we offer to God that which he has given to us, a portion back to the building of his church and his kingdom, both locally and, and, and abroad. It's also a transitioner point where we invite forward our youngest children, ages pre-K through third grade, to be brought back into what we call Trinity Kids, an opportunity for the kids to gather and to hear the Word of God taught to them in a way that is more helpful necessarily than the sermon, 
And those that are grade four and up remain with their parents, or some parents like to keep their kids through all of worship, which is great. We want kids to be seeing this pattern because we think this pattern, we believe this pattern helps people see the gospel. And then from there, we transition into the, our second to last heading, which says God offers grace through his word. So you see how this theme of God offering grace again and again and again to us now is offered through his word. And this is the pattern we're pulling from Isaiah. And the sermon that Pastor Paul preached this past Sunday was on Matthew 18 and looking at the little children and, and the faith that is talked about there. I, I have my notes because I already know that too oftentimes um, my brain doesn't remember many things. And so I wrote down uh, a few notes from what he said. I can link down below if you want to go take a, a look at our live stream and see this in action for what's there, or you, you've already listened to it here, so you don't have to do that. Um, but he walked through this idea uh, in this moment where Jesus is kind of not really chastising the disciples, but, but using the, the little children there to teach them something about the kingdom of God and ultimately what a childlike faith looks like. Now, I'm going to not spoil the whole sermon here. Like I said, I'll link it down below and you can go watch that. If you want to see the whole worship service, it will only be on the live stream probably until tomorrow. Usually every, or wait, no, today's Tuesday. It might already be down. Usually every Tuesday, we trim out just to the sermon because we want our shut-ins and folks to be a part of our, our worship when they can't get to where we are, but we're not trying to create on-demand worship where you could go at any point in time. Uh, so then it condenses down to just the sermon at that point. And then after the sermon, um, and, uh, and then after the sermon, we move into a closing song and it's under the heading of God sends us to live in the power of his grace. So we're applying the word of God to the lives and hearts of the people there. We're giving them real actionable things to do from God's word, whether it be conviction, whether it be uh, evangelism, whether it be wh whatever it might be responding to the gospel as proclaimed in Matthew 18, whatever it might be, then it's a sending out and a commissioning as sorts. And this song becomes a commissioning into the benediction as we send people out. We sang the wonderful cross, uh, which finds its, uh, there, there's a reference here to Galatians 6.14 to look at. And then the benediction this past week came from 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13, which says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the, the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was our worship service this past week. That was all designed from a 30,000 foot view to show that God is the first mover in grace. That if we looked at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we see that it is for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves, lest no one should boast, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go and do, I missed that, the, the end of that, but to go and live out into those works which he's prepared beforehand. And so that's what our worship service is guided by, and everything finds its root in Scripture, in the Bible. That is our heart. That is our desire. And I would encourage you 
to look at your worship from this past Sunday and ask yourself, why do we do that thing? And, and do we have a, a biblical reason and a biblical justification for doing it this way? Again, I don't think the order is essential, but I do think there are some things that are very specific that Scripture teaches us are part of our worship to God. As we pray, as we hear the Word of God preached and proclaimed, that we confess our sin, that we respond in that manner. And so that's some of how I, uh, we approach that. But we didn't come to that slowly, or quickly, I should say. We came to that slowly, and I'll tease that out at the end. I want to hop into some Q&A. I want to see some of what you guys are thinking and wondering, questions for me about this worship service, about liturgy in general, or just about anything pastoral. I would love to answer some of your questions. Uh, Sean threw up a question. I'm trying to go back to see it. Here it is. And his question was this. Is there an invitation to give during the We Offer Our Hearts? Is there a prayer dedicating that offering after the song? Great question. So the, the invitation is given as we both invite the ushers to come forward to prepare to take up the offering. We remind people that this is, a, this is part of our worship, that giving giving of ourselves as part of worship. We usually don't have a specific prayer dedicating the offering. We go right from that song into the prayer prior to the sermon to be preached. So we haven't had that. We've had that in the past. I don't think there's anything wrong. We've done different things in the past. Actually, one of the things that I miss, and if Pastor Paul's uh, done with his funeral and now listening, I want to do this again. We used to, for a little bit of time, we used to start worship with the doxology. Because often you close worship with the doxology, but I believe there's something beautiful and right about using that as the pattern to guide us as we praise God to whom all blessings flow, that we begin our worship that way. And I'm a big fan of doing things as we begin worship that get everyone on the same page, that get everyone audibly hearing the voices of their brothers and sisters in Christ who are around them. So whether that be a unison affirmation, whether that be song sung together, whatever it might be, those are some of my preferences, but that isn't necessarily have to be the case. So you have other, uh, other questions, let me know. Daryl's still here. Daryl says, our liturgy is modeled, shaped by the pattern of the day, somewhat similar to yours. Interesting. I'd love, love to see that. We can talk more Daryl and I had a live stream recently where we talked about all kinds of other stuff. You can check that out on the channel. But yeah, the, my fear or my concern, and this gets a little bit to what, I don't want to spoil what we're going to talk about next week, what was supposed to be this week, but next week we're going to talk about how we got to this point. This wasn't where we started. This, in fact, this outline or this idea, and this may not be the, the end iteration. I'm not saying this is it forever. I don't have a lone say in that. I'm one of the pastors. Pastor Paul and I work together uh, in conjunction with the other elders. I'm a teaching elder, they're ruling elders. And so we might still shift things around, but our hope is that people will see the gospel and hear the gospel just in our liturgy, that they'll see how God offers grace, that we seek God's grace, that God offers his grace in worship, that God offers his grace as we confess our sin, that God offers his grace through his word and that God sends us out as a result of what he's done in our hearts and minds. So that's part of the hope and part of the desire as we're looking at these things. 
And I do want to just real quick remind you that this isn't a primary doctrinal thing. I, I think there are some issues in worship if you have problems or things that shouldn't be there, but this is something that I think you can land on that looks a little different based on cultural context, based on things of the day, based on whatever it might be. Our worship would look different if we had a baptism. Our worship looks a little different, organized a little different when we have communion. Our worship looks a little different when there's other things. But ideally, this is the basic structure. So I think it's also helpful for people to know what's happening as they come in. So that's some of what I thought about. Would love to hear from you in the comments or you can email me. Uh, whatever it is, if you're listening to the podcast on any of the streaming platforms, I'd really appreciate uh, just to hear your feedback and what you think. Because next week, guys, next week, you're not going to want to miss this. Here's what's going to happen. It was supposed to happen this week, but now you get the full, the full breakdown of what's going to happen. Next week, I'm going to be sitting down with Matthew Montgomery, who was for a time here the worship, the worship minister, the music minister here at Bakerstown who's now moved down to Nashville and doing some awesome stuff down there. But he's going to be coming on. Pastor Paul, my senior pastor, is going to be coming on. And we're going to be sharing the story of how we built and walked into this. And a little bit of a spoiler, there's some things that Pastor Paul is going to share that no one's ever heard before, that only him and I have talked about. And I'm so excited for him to share some of that. And it's even going to be a surprise to Matt, who is in the room, as we talked about these things together, because what was for us usual, we worshiped the way that we always had worshiped for the most part. We had an order that had been established at some point in time, and we just kind of tweaked little things here or there. This was a big overhaul change to what was, and it, it took a little bit of time for people to get used to and to get un to understand how and why we do these things. Now, whether or not you do these things or you change how you're worshiping, that's quite okay. All I want you to understand is I hope and pray that as you look at the way that your church approaches a holy God in worship, that you're asking the question, hey, why do we do that? What's the purpose of that thing? Is there a reason we do it that way? Because I want you to even encourage and help your pastors. Sometimes they're a little worried about changing things. They're a little nervous about what if, if we change these things, people might be upset. What we found, what I've found, is when people know the why, the change is a lot easier to understand. The change is a lot easier to go with because there's a purpose behind it that is clear, that is said, and that people can get behind. So that would be my encouragement to you. I hope and pray that this has encouraged you in some way, that has got you to think about worship. If you haven't already, please, 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 like the video, comment down below. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please consider leaving a review. It really helps. And even more so, the number one way, do you know what the number one way that anything grows here on YouTube or on podcast platforms is when you share something. If you would consider sharing this with someone who you think might be encouraged by it, even if it's your pastor or elders or a friend, or someone you've been talking to, please consider sharing this. Guys, I appreciate you. I'm so thankful you were here. I will catch you next week, one o'clock EST. Come back here, Pastor Paul, 
Matt Montgomery, talking worship, talking how we ended up at this, and preload those questions. Come with some questions. I want you to try to stump Matt and Paul with your questions. Guys, I appreciate you. Thanks for being here. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace. This is Pastor Talk Radio. People think that there's another gospel. They think they can improve upon the gospel. They think they can edit the gospel. They think that they can change the gospel and move to another gospel. But there is no other gospel. 